Hello, I'm Des Dearlove, and this is the Thinkers 50 podcast. Famously, Steve Jobs was adopted. In later life, he talked about how it had shaped him as a leader, how that early formative experience had made him the leader that he was. Um, other people have said similar things about their early life experiences. We're fortunate today to be joined by Deborah Rowland, co-author of Sustaining Change and author of the forthcoming book Still Moving. Deborah too was adopted at an early age and has found it has a, had a profound influence on her career. Deborah, welcome. Thank you, Des. So let's talk a little bit about, I mean, I mentioned Steve Jobs, obviously very famous, the fact that he, in many people's eyes, it, it turned him into something of a control freak. He even acknowledged that he, he wanted to control his environment because he'd had so little control in the early stages of his life. How, how did your own adoption shape you as a, as a leader? Mm, no, thank you, Des. Well, I've heard it said that adopted children can go two ways. You can either be quite rebellious in your new adopted family and really try to prove that you are indeed unlovable, or you try to become the absolute perfect child to actually prove why they made a brilliant choice in actually selecting you. I think I was quite fortunate in that I chose the latter path. But it did mean that when I went into my career as a leader, I, on the one hand, it was an asset that I always tried to really help people and to actually do the best for other people. At the same time, maybe, it also made me a bit too polite as a leader as well. So you desperately wanted to be liked and you wanted, wanted to be the to perfect be you wanted to be the perfect child, whether it's you know to the sort of the corporate parent or, or to to your own adopted parents, to prove that they'd made a good decision. Indeed, yes. Now, on the one hand, I think that spurred my achievement drive because I always wanted to actually achieve and succeed. I guess to make my adoptive parents feel, yes, you know, that they're, they're actually proud of me. So I think it was an asset, really. It can be quite painful in what you have to confront as an adopted child, but it can actually be quite an, an asset. The other thing it really gave me was curiosity. Adopted children are always looking at people to try and find out, you know, do I belong here? Who relates to whom? So I find it made me um, not just curious as a leader, but as a change consultant now as well. I can quite easily go into a new client situation and like an anthropologist, try and actually work out what is this human system here that I'm coming into. So I mean, it's fascinating too. I mean, and possibly people here in the background that we're, we're actually overlooking a, a playground so you can hear the children in the background. And of course, it does carry you, it transports you back to being one of those children and, and you remember how how strange it is to walk into a school you know, where perhaps you don't know people and you're you're trying to as you say understand the system even at that early age but those skills those life skills I guess stay with you definitely I remember vividly still today my first day at school and people actually asked me about you know where did I actually come from and I actually said well my mum and dad came to a shop and they kind of bought me <laughs> And that was the first time the kids said, well, what on earth is all of that about? That doesn't actually happen that way. And I was bullied, you know, in my first year um, at school. And that was the first time I thought that was quite unusual. What it has meant, though, is that as a leader, I can really take on anything. So people's comments about me, I can actually put them into um, a perspective. But I am very, very sensitive to either being included or excluded when I work in business. So you were sort of effectively, you were, you were born into the crucible of change. and it's but, but it doesn't mean you don't strike me as a control freak. It, I mean, I think that's that's one of the attributes that I think even Steve Jobs himself would have admitted that he, he did have a, quite a controlling way of leading. 
partly as a consequence of this early life experience, but it's shaped you differently. It has shaped me differently, although if you looked at my sock drawer, you might think I'm a bit of a control freak. No, but it has shaped me differently. I, I think, as I said earlier, um, curiosity was one big thing. But the other thing it did do was make me quite um, detached. So I never really quite felt always that was I really in with my adopted family or was I outside of this particular family. So I think another reason it's actually made me able to um, enjoy not being totally included or in one particular company. So I think it's made me very, very effective as a change consultant. So I think the best change consultants are always on the edge of the system. They don't go native by getting too much into the culture itself. So I think the combination of being both curious but also detached is very, very good. And I would argue also good for being a, um, a top leader in change as well, because it can be quite lonely. And unless you can be on the edge, I don't think you can be an effective change leader. So you mentioned, when we were talking earlier, you were talking about the, the desire to fit in, in a way, to be, to be liked and to, and to not cause too many waves mm. to fit into the system. Did you then have to overcome that natural inclination? Is that something you've had to consciously work on in order to be able to disrupt a situation? Definitely. Because I find that if you're wanting to be liked all the time, mm -hmm. you can't do the tough work of leadership. Because leadership is not about having everybody like you. Leadership is about having people uh, respect you. Um, that they know that they, you are there to support them, but you don't need to always be liked. So even today, if I'm running a workshop or when I was you know, head of HR at BBC Worldwide, I was very, very conscious if I was sitting in a room, did people sit next to me or not? And I used to get very, very anxious about that. But I now know that that's actually quite an important thing, that people actually, there is a power distance between people and a leader. And I always felt that was because I was adopted. But then I actually realised, well, no, people are sometimes are a bit scared around sitting, you know, alongside the powerful people. They put a distance between them and, and, and the leader as well. So it made me very, very sensitive to it. But I don't think it's actually... Um, been dysfunctional for me in any way. In fact, it's, it's been an asset for me. I was me. about to ask you that. Has it reached the point yet where you, where you, where you can look at your life and say, actually, it, it, it possibly is the best thing that could have happened to me? Definitely. And in the last 10 years, I've actually traced and I was reunited with my birth parents. And I think until that stage, maybe I was more in the anxious state rather than the curious state. So I do believe that my adoptive parents were fantastic in supporting me in the search. And I do correlate, in a sense, that era when I was traced and reunited with my biological parents and when my leadership really took off, uh, particularly at the executive level as well. So I think I'd found um, a part of myself that made me feel more secure. So, in conclusion, really, I mean, clearly it can be an asset. I mean, it's a circumstance of early early life. It's not something that one chooses. It's, it's what happens to one. Um, so... But presumably some of these attributes you can also conjure even if you're not adopted. It's not exclusive. Definitely. So I think my major point here is that we all have our stories. Mm -hmm. We all take our stories into life and into leadership. Mine happened to be adoption as the most defining feature. But we all have stories as to how we were actually formed as a leader. So my main point here is to be aware of what your story is, to be conscious of it. Um, so then when you're in a leader, particularly in under stressful situations, you actually make sure that you don't act out your childhood impulses, whatever they might be. It might happen to be fear of rejection or whatever. 
But it's, it's to know yourself, isn't it? I mean, that's the biggest quality. And tell me something else. Do you know, do you tell your followers or when you're speaking on a platform, do you use this? Do you, do you speak about being adopted and, you know, as part of your authenticity? I do, actually. My very, very first day as head of HR at BBC Worldwide, I got my whole HR team together and I actually showed them photographs of both my biological parents and my adoptive parents. It absolutely blew them away. And I can talk about it now without emotions overcoming me. That took me quite a few years. But I do use it now. And I think you know, part of leadership is about being vulnerable, about being authentic, about bringing the whole of you to your leadership. And I find by disclosing my story, that actually helps me. I think we find too that, that biography is, is very powerful because it, it does ground a leader. We, you know, when, um, when Stuart and I run our courses, we talk a lot about biography and mm. knowing where you come from and how you got here and all that sort of stuff. So um, mm. it's nice to hear it confirmed um, by someone like you. Definitely. Deborah, thank you very much. Thank you, Des. Thank you for listening. That was a Thinkers 50 podcast. Thinkers 50 podcasts are produced by KDH Creative.